Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. These are God's words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. You may be seated. This is um, our final, final sermon in our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And I have enjoyed it. I pray that you have been enriched and encouraged and strengthened as we have navigated. Hopefully, the Lord has even illuminated uh, the eyes of your heart in order that you might understand more deeply uh, our Lord's words as he shared stories to help us better understand his heart. And I pray that you um, in some way better understand his heart as a result of our journey through it. Um, we went to Gulf Shores, Alabama last weekend. Uh, Candy and I had the privilege of traveling down to the coast with Pastor Corey and his lovely wife, Nicole. They were so gracious in inviting us to tag along on a trip that was already paid for. They just said, hey, you just got to get there. And so we were able to do that, and we had a blast. We ate good food. We saw great, a great movie. We rested. We relaxed. And we, we even went go-kart racing, and I won. <laughs> Not that that is important, but I did, both times. And we played other games too, games that I lost, and that's definitely not important. But there was this game that you may be familiar with in the midst of all of these other games, there's this game that has a big bin uh, of goodies in it. You know, you see all kinds of things, you know, really expensive headphones, beat by Dre, Beats by Dre headphones in there. Uh, for those of you all who are initiated and know what those are. Um, minion stuffed animals, for those of you all who are initiated and understand what those are. Big bouncing rubber balls are in there. And then you have this motorized claw and you direct the claw Everybody know where I'm going? You've seen this before? Where you direct the claw around the big bend until you find exactly where you want to drop the claw. And then you drop the claw and it clutches like it's going to hold on to this thing. And then it picks it up and it starts bringing it closer to you. Like, and you think to yourself, yes, I got it. And then it drops it. And it was very painful to watch this because it's rigged, obviously, for you not to win but they give you just enough hope to think that you can actually secure the bag and get the treasure. But the claw is built to not hold the treasure very tightly. It's built to allow the gift to continue slipping through its grasp. No matter how hard you try, it is practically impossible to get the treasure, but you start out with a great deal of passion because there's a great deal of optimism and a great deal of hope. And you say to yourself, man, those Beats by, Beats by Dre headphones cost about $200. What's $1? What's $2? What's $5? And so your passion is high because you see it picking up and, and about to drop. Oh, I can't hold it. Sorry. And then you see it again happen and you keep going. And eventually the passion begins to wane because you realize this is not set up for me to receive this treasure. 
The treasure was only an illusion. And too many times you realize that by the time you've given all of your energy to it, and all, in some cases all of your money to it, it's too late. You've already spent more than you should have because this was a treasure that was never intended to be within your grasp. Some of you are familiar with this game, but you are more familiar with this game as it is played in life. Life is about pursuing treasure, but what treasure we pursue makes all the difference in the world. And for many of you, you have been pursuing treasure. And you have this claw, your own claw, that you've been picking these things up and trying to bring them home, and they keep dropping. Success, you pick it up, and financial, financial conquest, you pick it up, and, and sexual freedom, you pick it up, and, and all these different things you're picking up, telling yourself that I can bring these home and I will have full satisfaction, and they keep dropping on you. They weren't intended to give you full satisfaction. So I want to talk about a treasure that is intended to give you full satisfaction. These are two parables that are speaking or making the same point. And they're, they're, there's very few parables like this in Scripture. You can call these parrot parables, if you will. But they're making the same point. They're giving you an ideal of what true treasure really is. And so I want to give an accurate definition of treasure in these parables. I want to explore the characters in these parables because there are two different characters here that give us insight into this parable and give us insight into treasure. And then I want to explore what makes the treasure in these parables valuable. The characters, the definition, and the value of the treasure itself. In these verses, we have, again, two stories, same primary point. But what I find interesting is as, as we turn our attention to the characters is that we have two characters in these two stories that experience this primary point in two entirely different ways. Character one seems to be just a guy in a field who stumbles upon this precious treasure. Character two, on the flip side, appears to be a seasoned seeker. He's looking for treasure. He's bought treasure. He's traded treasure. He sold other pearls and other treasure before actually finding this one particular pearl, this one particular treasure that surpasses all the others. So we see just in the characters alone from these parables that people from all walks of life can discover the great and eternal treasure that is the kingdom of God. People like the man who stumbles upon the treasure in verse 44. This is a character who possibly we could consider to be a skeptic, who isn't even looking for God, yet they too can, through the grace and sovereign hand of God, stumble upon him and discover that there is nothing more precious than him. Maybe you know this person. Maybe you are this person who doesn't feel like they have any need for God whatsoever. Maybe you or someone you know finds yourself already absorbed in the pursuit of riches and the pursuit of success. Maybe you or someone you know are currently fully occupied by a chase for love or a chase for sexual freedom in the arms of a man or men or in the arms of a woman or women. Maybe you or someone you know has a heart that is captivated by chasing celebrity and chasing greatness, and you're too busy basing your hopes and dreams off the lives that you see on TV or on the internet. 
and pursuing celebrity and greatness for yourself. Maybe you or someone you know has a heart that is trapped in a vicious cycle of pleasure that leaves you chasing high after high from drugs or alcohol or numbing your pain and your loneliness through TV and through sports and through social media. Either way, you've walked past this treasure on many occasions, unaware of the value that is laying before you. However, as we see in this parable, the good news for this wanderer and for the wanderer in all of us is that God still can move sovereignly to meet us as we wander through the field of life. And when he meets us, he can grant us an authentic encounter with him where we finally see Christ and we finally see the kingdom of God in his purest form and most precious form, not through the filters and the lenses of imperfect messengers or not through the filter and the lens of an imperfect culture that too often misrepresents who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about, but instead we can actually see him because he can give us eyes to see the resurrected Savior as he really is and cause us when we see him to bow down and worship him because you cannot look away when his beauty and his majesty is finally revealed to you. You cannot look away. You may be able to look away when we project him in an imperfect way. You may be able to look away when we project and when the culture projects him in an imperfect way, but when you finally see the treasure for what it really is and you finally see its value, you cannot look away. It's too precious to turn down. But there is also this man who is searching for this treasure. There's a man who stumbles upon it, and then there's a man who's searching for it. In that second parable about the pearl, we find in that story that he is actively looking for the treasure. Again, like I mentioned, he's bought and he's traded because in some ways he understands the value of these pearls. He's just never had or never found a pearl this precious. And maybe you know this person too. Maybe you are this person too. One who, are, who is in search of a spiritual experience. One who is in search of eternity. One who is in search of salvation. And you've tried other pearls but found them lacking. Maybe you've lived a religious life but you find yourself still empty. Maybe you've tried other gods like Buddha and Islam, or Buddhism and Islam, rather. Maybe you've made gods out of power and out of celebrity and out of wealth, etc. Maybe you've even tried Christianity, or at least Christianity in all of its false forms. And maybe you've even tried Christianity as self-righteousness. Maybe you tried Christianity as a salvation based on what I do, and it's just simply exhausted you. Maybe you've tried Christianity, but it carries such an indistinguishable or striking resemblance to republicanism or democraticism or MAGA movement or Antifa movement that anyone who claims Christ outside of your particular circles is ostracized as being incapable of receiving saving grace and possessing saving faith. And even that has left you disillusioned. But the good news for this seeker and the good news for the seeker in all of us is that God still can sovereignly meet us in this vast market filled with all kinds of pearls and show us that one true pearl 
that is more valuable than all the other pearls in the other sea, and in the other sea creatures combined. The one that not only promises eternal fulfillment, but actually carries the power to give eternal fulfillment. The one that transcends our politics and is found not in a list of rules, but in a real relationship with a living person. You see, these two parables that Jesus gives us are reminders that no matter which one of these characters we really are, God can absolutely meet us where we really are and provide passage through his son into an eternal kingdom. Let's turn our attention to the treasure for a second. What do we know about this treasure? What do we know about the pearl? First thing we must understand, as we've discussed before, is when we say the kingdom of God, when we say the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, we are not defining a place to go. We are defining a rule and a reign to embrace. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, we can seek the kingdom of heaven. In, in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, it says, we can receive the kingdom of heaven. These passages aren't describing a place. They're describing a type of rule and a type of reign. But also in thinking about the kingdom of heaven as rule and reign, we must also understand that the kingdom of heaven should be viewed from a present future perspective. In other words, in some places in Scripture, we see that the kingdom of God as being something that is coming in the future. But then in other places in Scripture, we see that the kingdom of God as something that has already come and is here. Matthew chapter 7, for example, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Enter, that's a place, that's a place that's coming that we will gain access to. Luke chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And he said to them, When you say, or when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's a place that we're anticipating, or that is a rule and reign, rather, that we are anticipating come to us. But then we read chapter Luke, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, and it says this, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So for you and I, the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. But the kingdom of God is the total submission to the rule and reign of God. It is the rule and reign of God. Dr. Tony Evans defines the kingdom of God as his rule, his plan, and his program. So the treasure in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, is his rule, his reign, and his program, the rule and reign of the Lord. However, in defining what the kingdom is, we in some ways unintentionally define what the kingdom is not. Dr. Tony Evans also says about the kingdom that the kingdom of God is the alternative to the kingdom of this world. An alternative simply means that it is another way. There is another ideal on the table. And as God's people, we are not limited by the choices this world offers us. Dr. Tony is echoing Jesus actually here. Because Jesus says in John chapter 18, verse 36, that my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that, it, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So in other words, how the world defines treasure, listen to me, how the world defines treasure is not necessarily how Scripture should define or how Scripture defines it, nor is it necessarily how you should. Does that make sense? The world defines kingdom and the world defines treasure through political dominance, through power, through money, through celebrity. But the kingdom of God is not defined or ruled by wealth, by political power, by chasing celebrity. It is defined by the rule and reign of God, or it is defined by the person and work of Jesus. So here's what we know from this parable, is that this treasure is unlike the treasure of the world. This treasure is the rule and reign of God. And according to the parable, this treasure is infinitely more valuable than any other treasure on earth. And the parable helps us flesh this out in a few ways. Again, in verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. The first observation in the parable is that the treasure is hidden treasure. In the ancient days in which Jesus is telling this story, it would not have been actually that far-fetched for a treasure to be hidden in a field. There were no, uh, there were no, were no Wells Fargo's and there were no Chase Banks and there were no Banks of America to deposit your savings into. And we know of its value because someone has taken the time to go and to hide it and put it away. And we see both of these men find these treasures, not because they knew where they were, but, 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 or they knew where to look, but it's almost as if it's by chance that they get there. And the same can be said when describing the rule and reign of God in our own hearts. His gift of salvation and the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives cannot be attributed necessarily to you and me. It is God who quickens our hearts and opens our eyes and leads us by the hand towards him to see the treasure and puts indicators along the road for you to see and waves flashing lights in your direction to say, over here, over here, over here. Jesus shares and articulates the hidden nature of the treasure in John chapter 6, verse 44, where he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, there is a tremendous amount of grace and power at work in getting you to the kingdom. There's a tremendous amount of grace and power from God at work to get you to a place where your eyes are open to see Jesus and the kingdom clearly. And we should be grateful and thankful for that power at work in our lives. So we are not only offered and given the treasure by grace, we actually see the treasure by grace. And this is a reflection of its value. But we also know that the treasure is valuable because when the man finds it, he protects it. Verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Notice what the man does with the treasure after he finds it. He hides it again until he's able to come back and get it. You see, the field doesn't belong to this man. 
He knows that when it is discovered, what typically happens is the ownership of the treasure will be assigned to the owner of the field. Does that make sense? So what he does is he figures, I need time to go and sell everything that I have and get my money together so I can buy the field. But I can't allow it to be discovered yet because if it's discovered, whoever owns the field owns the treasure. Now please don't get lost in the detail and miss the point of this story. This move is unequivocally shady. But this is, this is not a parable about good business ethics. And we've seen on several occasions through our journey of the parables that Jesus often uses less than ideal characters and, yes than I, and less than ideal ethics in his parable tellings to make points. And so the point in this action, the point in this parable is not about the ethics of what this man does. It's the value he has given this treasure. Now that his eyes have been opened to the discovery, it is too precious and too rare and too valuable to allow it to slip through his fingers. This is a man who has not only found the treasure, but he understands its worth. See, saints of God, we protect things that we understand are precious. My family is precious to me. The Lord has only given me one BJ. One Elijah, one candy, and there is no price tag you can place on that. So I will lay down my life to ensure their well-being. They're that precious to me, and I understand their value. When something is valuable to us, we will protect it with everything, even our very lives. The same can be said about this wanderer in the field. He has now found so, something so precious that it must be protected. It must be protected at all costs. How do you know that you fully appraise the kingdom's worth in your heart? When you protect it with everything. When you protect it with everything. Philippians chapter 1 Paul says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, life or death. That's what Paul says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. I know I need to be here for you, but I would so much rather be with Jesus. And so I'll give up this life because for me to live is Christ, to serve Christ, to honor Christ with my life, but to die is a gain for me. It's incentive because I get to be with Jesus. To die is gain because to die is to be with Jesus. Paul understands there is nothing more valuable than his kingdom inheritance. So he declares that he is willing to give it all up for it. Now, if you hear Paul make that declaration and you say within yourself, man, that feels a little extreme. It is because you have not appraised the preciousness of the kingdom and the preciousness of Jesus. It would be like going out into a field and discovering that most 
precious treasure in the world is buried in the field. And digging up that treasure and seeing that treasure and then saying to yourself, man, but I got to put it back in the ground and I got to put this dirt back in there? It just feels like too much. And leaving it exposed. And that's often how we treat Christ. As if it's just too much work to prize him, to treasure him, to hold him near and to hold him dear. You see, the only way that you would do that in that field is if you didn't understand the value of the treasure that you discovered. Saints of God, brothers and sisters, family, do you know the value of the kingdom that you've been given access to through Jesus Christ? Do you know the value of the king that has laid his life down on your behalf? Lastly, we know that a treasure is valuable because of the exchange that both the pearl merchant and the wanderer make in order to keep it, or acquire it, rather. Again, verse 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And to the pearl merchant, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. And bought it. You hear that, saints? Both men sell everything. Both men sell everything. They sell everything to buy this magnificent field housing this glorious treasure, or they sell everything to buy this one particular magnificent pearl that outshines all the other pearls that they've discovered. You may be saying, man, that seems incredibly difficult. Yes, but it is only difficult because we haven't seen the value of the treasure that we are selling everything for. You know, we want to hold on to our lives. We want to hold on to control of our lives. We want to hold on to our way and our will. And we want to hold on to uh, our pleasures. And we want to hold on to whatever it is that we want to hold on. We want to hold on to our dreams. We want to hold on to our pursuits. And we don't want to give God any of those things. But it's because we have not properly apprised or appraised, rather, the treasure that we have been given. In order to purchase the field, they say they have to give up everything. It's not, it's not unfamiliar, by the way. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. For whoever would save his life, whoever would say, I have to keep this, cannot purchase the treasure. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever says, I will give it up, gets to treasure. It doesn't have to be my way, Lord. It doesn't have to be my delight. It doesn't have to be my dreams. It doesn't have to be my pleasures. Because there's a greater pleasure at stake, the pleasure of knowing you. And so because of that, I will give up all other pleasures in pursuit of knowing you. 
I will give up other dreams in pursuit of the dream of knowing you. I will give up other delights in the pursuit of the delight of knowing you. Christ says, let go of control of all that you think you have to have. Let go of everything that you treasure and I will give you a greater treasure because I will give you myself and I will give you my kingdom. Let go of everything that is promising you peace and you will find greater and eternal peace because I will give you myself and I will give you the kingdom. Let go of everything that is promising you hope and you will find greater and eternal hope because I will give you myself and I will give you the kingdom. Let go of everything that is promising you joy and you will find greater and eternal joy because I will give you myself and I will give you the kingdom. But pay attention to verse 44. Again, the man gave up everything. Listen in his joy. In his joy, meaning that he was delighted to sell it all. Here's an interesting thing about Paul, the Apostle Paul. In the letter to, that he writes to the Philippian church, Scripture tells us that he uses the word joy or rejoice 13 times in that letter. Now, for you, it might not seem strange, but he uses the word 13 times as he writes a letter from jail. He's in prison. And he's constantly talking about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says in Philippians chapter 4. Again, I say, rejoice, he writes as he sits in a prison cell. Why was Paul, in spite of his circumstances, despite the fact that he is faced with the threat of so much loss, why is Paul so joyful in the work of the Lord? The answer is because his eyes were open to the worth of the treasure. His work wasn't easy, saints. Paul shed many tears, I'm sure. Paul had many moments of grief. But through it all, Paul carried an enduring joy, even in the loss of his very freedom, the suffering in his body, the departure of his friends. Why? Because he realized the worth of the treasure that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In fact, in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul tells us this. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The treasure of knowing Christ was greater than all of the accolades Paul had collected. It was greater than all the things, all the success that he had known. The treasure of knowing Christ calls Paul to look at everything else in his life and say, that means nothing to me. That's rubbish. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing. It is the treasure that I pursue. So quickly, as we close, how do we do this? How do we do this? Because I know I'm, if you're like me, there are times where this isn't happening in me. So how do, how do we do this? There's a couple of ways. 
couple of disciplines I think we need to cultivate in our lives. Number one, we need to change our diet. We need to change our diet, meaning, the reason I say we need to change our diet is because what I eat, I crave. What I eat, I crave. I will never stop eating ice cream until I stop eating ice cream. Are you, tracking, are, you, are you tracking with that? Are you following me here? The craving is intense because my body is accustomed to the bowl of ice cream. I have to stop eating it. And as I stop eating it, more and more the craving diminishes. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Part of our inability to treasure God is that we feed on so many lesser things. And it diminishes our appetite for God. We have no appetite because our appetite is conditioned to eat all the junk. And so we spend hours streaming media, we spend hours social media, we spend hours binging on Netflix, we spend hours and hours looking at celebrity tabloids and what they're doing with their lives, and, and we spend hours just in a pursuit of success and just literally dedicating all of our time and our energy, climbing ladders. And we spend hours and hours and hours on all these other lesser things. And so our appetite is not conditioned to treasure. In order to treasure God, we must feast from his table. Which leads me to my second how-to. We must pray. We must pray for God, for the treasure to be illuminated in our hearts. Paul prays for the church in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Listen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul says, I am praying for the eyes of your heart to be open so that you can appreciate the riches of God's glorious inheritance in you and the immeasurable greatness of his power being demonstrated in you and the hope to which you have been called. And so my prayer life has to be set in such a way where I'm saying, Lord, open my eyes in order that I may treasure you more. Open my eyes that I treasure less the things of this world and I treasure more you. My prayer life has to change. And then the last thing, what can I do to fix this? I have to treasure the one who treasures me. I have to remember that he treasures me. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love that the Father has given to us, 
that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love. In other words, behold what kind of love. Gaze on what kind of love. Think on what kind of love. So what does that mean? That means that I should spend time just reflecting on the kind of love that would make Brian Crawford a child of God. And that would make the brothers and sisters that I commune with on Sunday mornings children of God. And I don't know know everything about your life, but I know plenty about mine that that should be really, really, really crazy. That's really, really crazy. That's really shocking that he would love me in such a way to make me a child, a child of his very own. And as I think about the fact that God has treasured me in such a way, it deepens my treasuring of him. Does that that make sense? John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he sends his son, his perfect son, without spot or blemish into the world to live this perfect life on your behalf and die this death that we all deserve to die. And to have his... And, 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 to, and to have to plead with his father as he is on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved us that much that he spilled his own blood in order that we might be saved. He treasured us in order that we too might treasure him. So part of this journey is learning how to reflect on how deeply God loves you. Because there's a power in that that causes you to move away from holding on to all of your aspirations and all of your dreams and all of your stuff and all of your time and all of your talent and saying, Lord, I I see how you've loved me. And so you can have whatever you want from me because of the love in which you love me with. Saints of God, this is what, this is the path. This is the path that we treasure the one who is treasuring us. That we treasure the one who forgives us when we fail to treasure him. Are you tracking with that? And as you continue to gaze upon the goodness of God, it will enrich your ability to treasure God. Let's pray.